Okay, okay. Alright, big man. You want to make some big bucks, huh? Let's see how tough you are. You know something about cocaine? Digame! You kidding me or what, man? There's a bunch of Colombians coming in Friday. New guys. They said they got two keys for us, for openers. Pure cocaine. You tell them capiche. I want you to go over there. And if it's what they say it is, you buy it and you bring it back. You can do that, you make five grand. Meet at half the bodegas, noon Friday. You get the buy money then. Oh, and Chico, if anything happens to the buy money, he Welcome to Emergency Medicine Remix, Episode X3, Reasonable Doubts, Conspiracy Theory, Pseudoscience in the Land of Dr. Oz. First of all, let's get some ground rules established. Number one, we don't have all the answers. Nobody does. Number two, this will be an ongoing conversation in order to discover the truth. Number three, asking the right questions is sometimes more important than the answers. All right, Can't Not the Hustle featuring JS instead of Jay-Z. Instead of Mary, we got an upgrade in Chitty. All right, guys, let's talk about it. Reasonable doubts, conspiracy theory and medicine. Where can we go with that? So alternative medicine, naturopathic medicine. Is it real? Is it legit? Or is it all just to hustle? Speak on it. All right, Jawad, you want to lead us in? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we don't know. And I think that's one thing that's the beautiful thing about science is things are kind of given to us and we kind of take the scientific method to kind of help us kind of decide what is actually true or not. And I think with a lot of alternative medicine these days, we don't have the answer or it's way too early to tell. Um, but I think we're getting to the point where the mass kind of doesn't understand science that well and they kind of turn to people who are not scientists or don't have a say in science and kind of follow with them. Um, so I don't think we should put a blind eye to alternative medicine, but I think at the same time we need to use discretion and know that it's truly right by applying science. I agree, but I do think that alternative medicine is a hustle. Yes, it is. Because on one hand, like, let's say there's a lot of social media out there right now. Everything's on social media. So whatever gets picked up by social media goes like wildfire. I remember like maybe a couple months ago, it was celery. Celery water is going to cure obesity. Celery water is going to cure cancer. Celery water is going to do everything. And when you went to the store, there was no celery. Like there was no celery at all. So I'm like, who's promoting this is it the celery farmers of america like who's promoting this because it like literally you could not get celery and i didn't even want to make celery water i was just trying to use the celery for my chicken dish but i couldn't get celery because it was being promoted as like this cure-all magical medicine and that's a hustle because somebody's winning out of that you know it's not just the person it's not just the consumer someone's winning someone else is winning so that's a hustle in my in my definition so you're saying that uh Alternative medicine is a hustle like, shoot, let's call it the drug game. It's just a, it's a different drug. It's a of different course. drug. I feel like maybe it won't be as harmful. Some of the things might not be as harmful, but it's still a hustle. They're still trying to get your coins. They're still trying to, you know, make you believe something that might not be true. And as physicians, like, we're taught on the scientific method. So whether or not this stuff is true, we don't know, but we can't promote it if we don't know. That's the problem. I kind of disagree. I think alternative medicine is harmful. 
I don't think that it's not harmful. I mean, if, how many patients have we seen in the emergency room come in with crazy ideas? I mean, I had one patient that came in getting colonics by her neighbor in her garage. And if people don't, <laughs> right? And that's crazy. And people are, I mean, like, do we know what colonics are? Does anybody need me to explain what colonics no, are? No, speak on it. What's cool. speak so on what colonic it. basically, yeah. all right. Colonics. So what are you talking about? All right. I mean, and the person I was talking about was, was shitty, right? Exactly. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding guys. Uh, exactly. So colonics is basically where you kind of get a pipe, right? And kind of put it up, you know, where the sun don't shine, Your right? Butt. So kind of you put it there and you keep putting water in and out of the area to kind of cleanse the colon. Clean it right? out. Clean it up, right? And so they keep doing that. So you keep putting this pressure in with this water going in and out, in and out. And what happens when you keep doing that? You're not letting the body kind of heal it on its own, right? You're losing a lot of, right? A lot of things in the gut that's good bacteria, there's bad bacteria, right? There's a lot of things that the gut can do, right? But what they're doing is you're kind of basically losing, affecting the gut, and now you're not, body's not absorbing a lot of water. You're getting rid of more water, and you come into people. I had a patient that came in, and her sodium level was 119. From the colonic? From the colonic, right? And what does that mean? What is normal sodium, guys? Like, in the, it, right, it's an electrolyte in your body, right? And it's something that we need, right? A lot is bad, too little is bad. Just 119 is bad. It was basically... You, <laughs> so, bad is a relative term. So, what right. does bad mean as far as... Dangerous. It's dangerous. What, but right. what, what is the literal thing that you worry about with someone's sodium being 119? There's a lot of things, right? One of the main concerns we get about, right, we get people getting ultramental status, right? Basically, that, which basically simply means that people are confused or not behaving their normal self, right? The other scary things, people can get seizures, seizures, right? And you can fry the brain up. There's too much electricity in the brain, you fry the brain up. But when we kind of spoke to the woman, like, hey, like, you know, take it easy, don't do colonics, guess what? She rolled her eyes at us. Like, we're the crazy ones, sure right? she wasn't having a seizure? Uh, uh. Oh, good question. I, didn't, I, 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 I walked out the room pretty quick, you know, so. <laughs> Right? I mean, but I think. You laid it up, man. You laid it up. I was but, like, it's I on mean, the roof. Somebody gonna jump Jawad, that, man. <laughs> I agree. I agree with Jawad, but like, you made a blanket statement there, which I don't agree with. Like, you said it is bad. And like, alternative medicine can be anything as far as, as someone drinking lemon water every morning. Is that bad? Is that gonna hurt them? You know what I mean? It might not do anything, but is the absence of harm, does that make it good? You know what I mean? And let me rephrase that. I think, right, I always kind of tell people, if you're like that lady doing colonics, right? I would tell her not to do, but if she's gonna do it, don't promote it to other people for the sake of health, right? Because that will make other people in a much dangerous situation, right? Is that what we're doing with this podcast? We're promoting some things and people may disagree in the form of health? We're pushing a product. I'm gonna let you know out there. We 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 are we're hustling. I'm sorry. Sorry. I just had, I just moved. I just strong arm K Ford off the mic. All five foot five of me. And Chris is like six twelve. Okay, you know I know that's seven feet. But anyway, because that's what we're doing. I think everybody. You guys said it well. Everybody has an agenda. Everybody's pushing something. Sometimes good. Sometimes bad. So I'm just playing devil's advocate. Fair. But you got to understand. Right from our role, I think is from our perspective as emergency doctors. Right. I think one of the reasons why I hope this kind of sinks in with people, whatever flaws we see in healthcare, we see in the emergency room, right? Where a lot of specialties are not seeing these flaws that we see, right? And we're seeing people in their worst moments, even from engaging in pseudoscience, right? So yeah, we are promoting a product, but it's for the sake of education, right? I mean, we see stuff in TV all the time. You see Dr. Oz, the doctors, Dr. Pimple Popper, right? There's a new show on TLC with podiatrists popping things. It makes this lovey-dovey, cool type of things in medicine. But there's a deeper aspect of medicine that we're not seeing, that people are trying to hide from the mass. And that's where we're here to, to unfold that and see what we can educate people on, right? That's our job here mainly is we have one agenda here, and that's education. True. I think, you know, 
You're right. It kind of goes back to the last podcast where we talked about everything is about, you know, capitalism. And so what Chitty said is absolutely correct. I mean, everybody is trying to make a dollar off of everything, no matter how well-intentioned, you know, people are. And the problem is, you know, we bring up alternative medicine. The issue is, I mean, that's just such a broad topic, you know, and so it's, you know, we got Western traditional, quote unquote, traditional medicine. But in terms of alternative medicine, are we talking about the medicine that's been studied, the Chinese medicine therapies for, for generations and centuries of Reiki and cupping, you know, on the things like acupuncture? Or are we talking about because of social media, all the smart capitalists who know that people feed into key buzzwords like natural and organic um, and will know that people are profiting off of those words. I mean, you put you can put two of the same products in Sprouts grocery store. You slap organic on one and you slap natural on one and then you slap just old regular nothing attached to the same product. And people are going to gravitate to that organic and that natural without even looking to see what the ingredients are or how it was made. People just assume that, oh, this is organic. This is natural. This is better for my body. And will pay a premium for that and have a no idea if that is actually making them healthier. And at the end of that, somebody's making a profit on that. And I think the issue with the media and social media is that that stuff just runs rampant. You know, and you got social media and you got, you know, figures like a Dr. Oz that's on television or even folks that aren't as popular but are made popular by um, entertainers like a Dr. Sebi. Yep. Um, and people latch on to these things. And all of a sudden, it spreads like wildfire. And you go from people who already don't trust the government or don't trust, you know, American medicine. And they're already they're wanting to latch on to something. And so as soon as something, quote unquote, alternative pops up, they're going to jump to that alternative, even if those alternatives could be more dangerous than the traditional methods. All right. And, 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 All right. Now, I just got to We got Because you said it. It's about money. Dead presidents, right? Represent me. Whose world is this? All right. So it's, it's a capitalistic world, right? Let me just say this first and foremost. Our motivations sometimes can seem sincere. But they're easily uh, perverted whenever there's money involved. You know, it's like, yeah, all Dr. Oz is, a, uh, is I believe, a uh, cardiothoracic surgeon, uh, yeah. Columbia Press, right? Yeah, and one of the most prestigious hospitals right. in, in the world. In the world. Yeah. But he got paid more to co-sign other forms of medicine. After a while, he becomes less, you know, discerning. You know, he probably doesn't use the scientific method as he did when he was in training. And so I'm with you, Chitty, in this aspect that everything, quote unquote, naturopathic or Ayurvedic or holistic, you can use whatever brand or catchphrase for the day. It's not bad, but it's not all good. Same thing. Everything that is uh, westernized isn't all bad. Everything that's in a bottle that comes from the FDA approval pipeline is not bad either. I think we have to teach ourselves how to be discerning in those things and everything ain't for everybody that's all thing one one of the things is what is the underlying motivation if the underlying motivation is to make money off of it we're going to guarantee that this is something that is uh wrong now i'm sorry my wife just called me so i i, I apparently I said hey hon i'm actually doing the podcast you're actually uh being recorded right now what's going on yeah, he can. Yeah, he can use the shower downstairs. This is being recorded. It's good. the The shower curtain is on the front. The shower rod is on the front porch. All right, thanks. Yeah, this is making it into it. This is real. Okay, live. Right, this is live. See, real this is no filter. All right. So look, real life, no fillers. Remember that. All right. So I'm sorry. That was my time. She called me, so I got cut off. But uh, 
you guys get the point. <laughs> and I think you're absolutely right. You got to look at what the motivation is. And I think what we're talking about, P figures like in medicine, right? Like Dr. Oz things, but that's not the big issue too, or other influencers and big figures that are in media right now too, right? Like, I mean, just look at Instagram. How many followers does Kim Kardashian have? And then look how many followers the World Health Organization has, right? The masses kind of, I mean, people are kind of drifting towards celebrities and they're kind of promoting all these kind of taking powders to lose weight, but they're really diuretics. Of course, you're going to lose weight if you're losing a lot of water, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that it's healthy, right? But it's being promoted in that way. Again, for the sake of somebody gaining monetary rewards, right? And so you have to see what somebody's motivation is. Yeah, like, I mean, I am with you. Like, there's there could be certain things that can help out, right? Like acupuncture and things like that have shown to be pretty effective in medicine. But that's because the scientific method had shown that it's pretty good, right? We're not saying that certain alternative medicine doesn't work, but we have to be careful until we know for a fact that it works. How do we know for a fact? That, that's the question, I think. That that's the, the issue. Yeah. And that's the problem. I think we need to kind of, and I think it's our fault as doctors or educators or scientists that we're not actually promoting science to the public, right? And it becomes, science becomes very confusing for people. And I think it's our job to become better educators. I was going to say that the motive is huge. And I think that there's so many people now that have this distrust of doctors because they think we have this alternative um, agenda, which is kind of like, what do we profit you for telling you to take your insulin? Like my patient came in talking about that she was using cinnamon to treat her diabetes and she came in very, very sick. And I'm like, you need to take your insulin. She's like, oh, you're just saying that because you're supposed to, or you, I'm like, insulin not paying me. Like, I don't care. Like insulin is not paying me. What do I profit from telling you to stop taking cinnamon and take something that I actually know, you know that can work Well, that's you? the problem. They don't, you know what I mean? they, don't such believe, they don't believe you. Doctors is like, what do you distrust? You distrust me. I'm looking at you, but you trust anything that Dr. Oz, who knows how much he's getting paid to tell you what the you but, know, but this is but this is the this is the thing that there's there's a Christian philosopher, I believe in the in the 19th century, William James, who kind of said that there's one absolute truth with a capital T, and that that's God, right? Or like some kind of higher power. But all other truths are with the lower T, right? Is what we want them to be true, right? I mean, same thing. Why Republicans are so drawn towards Fox News? Right, liberal people are drawn to MSNBC, right? It's because we want to just believe what we already have, that already into notion that's within us, right? Yeah, but the reason shitty is because that patient does think that you're getting paid by the insulin companies. I mean, the narrative out there that people actually believe, and not just uneducated people, people that have degrees, people that are quote-unquote intelligent in society's view, believe that we are getting kickbacks from the vaccine companies. For it. So they think that they think that pediatrician, my wife is a pediatrician, so wherever these checks are, she's hiding them from me. She's she thinks that they think that for every person she gives a vaccine to, she's getting a check in the mail. They think that for that insulin you're, that you're prescribing, you're getting a check in the mail. <laughs> they think that you're getting a kickback. They think for that lisinopril or that, that blood pressure medication, we're getting money for every, every time we prescribe a pill, we're getting money from it. We're getting money every time we give oxycodone or Dilaudid. Right. Which is actually a real thing. Yeah. People do get kickbacks for certain things, right? Now, we just had a guy in Virginia that just, uh, I think, got 40 years for doing, uh, uh, had a pill mill running, right? So he was, so he was a drug dealer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he was not a doctor hold anymore. On, he was hold a, on. Let that be clear. He was a drug dealer with a degree. Right. <laughs> right. He was not comfortable with the amount of money he was making, so he chose to hustle and become a drug dealer. He just had easy access to it. I'm going to tell you, Sally May is a mean pimp. 
Oh yeah, mm. the biggest. The, 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 those student loans will have people do all <laughs> kinds of crazy this. things. You're right. <laughs> Let me just say, like, in terms of the danger, I think we just have to be open and honest about what we know and what we don't know, and then stop the paternalistic relationships and have conversations with patients. You know, when we get time, and so you know, let's take a topic like high blood pressure. You know, high blood pressure is different than, say, back pain. You know, we have a pretty good grasp on high blood pressure in this country. We know that when the world really, we know that diet and exercise plus the medications we have do really well to lower blood pressure. Back pain, we have no idea. Chronic back pain, we're just throwing all types of stuff and we have we just don't treat chronic back pain very well. And that leads to us criticizing people for seeking pain medicine and calling them drug seekers or saying they're stupid for going to chiropractors. And really, they're just trying to feel better, but we don't have good answers for them. And so if acupuncture or Reiki or cupping or whatever makes them feel better... Without harming. Without harming and as well-researched, then we can't throw stones and say, well, that's just stupid when we really don't know. Because maybe it's stupid to keep doing all these surgeries on them when they're still in back pain, creating more back pain, making them addicted to pain medicine. And, and I think that's what you're absolutely right. I mean, we're talking about alternative medicine, but there is danger to like modern medicine, right? There is danger. Overtreatment is a danger as well, too. And I think, I think that's the thing I've realized too when even my training in residency and as a med student, like we do have a very, it's a kind of a teacher-student relationship with patients. And I think that's, we need to get rid of that, right? The sense of arrogance or power over somebody else. Just having a normal conversation with them, kind of educate them as best as I can. I mean, I've had patients who tell me they don't know why they're on a blood thinner because they're, they have an irregular heart rhythm. The heart doctor never explained to them. And you sit down and you explain to them, like, wow, I understand why I need to take this medicine now, right? I think that's our fault. Again, I think it all comes to education and communication, right? And that's something we're not doing a good job of. And I think that's what causes confusion. And that's why this podcast was created, is to give that education. And it's education to the lay population, but it's also education, you know, for us too, right? You know, take high blood pressure. We talk about health disparities. I mean, people need to read up and know that lisinopril is not really a blood pressure medication. We should have our black patients on. Yet and still... We have all these black patients coming on lisinopril. I literally take people off lisinopril every single shift. And so we can also learn stuff, too, to, to, to practice optimal medicine. And you guys will agree with this, too. I mean, like I said, this podcast that we're doing right here, too, is not just for us to kind of just talk. We're talking about to ourselves as well, too, right? And we're trying to us for us to grow as physicians and clinicians and educators, right? And as human beings. And that's what we're trying, whatever we're learning, we're trying to spread that to other people. How do we, like... So as much as I think that alternative medicine is a hustle in like modern day, we're all from different traditions where, you know, your grandma gave you ginger when you had a splinter. Your hey, grandma ginger gave works. you ginger when you had uh, <laughs> right, head trauma, head relax. injury, when you broke your arm, <laughs> you, you had a belly ache, you, you had the flu, you was getting ginger out. tea. You know what I mean? Like we're all from this tradition where, you know, our ancestors our relatives and all that stuff they we we've been doing we've been practicing this natural medicine for many years so i feel like a lot of our patients that we see you know asian africans all of us we're all the same because we all have this tradition of like natural medicine before you know the pharmaceuticals came in to be so where do you draw the line for that cultural tradition and you know with modern medicine because you can't knock it because it's your cultural tradition but it's like where do you draw the line how do you kind of say to that 85 year old grandma who's on all these supplements that you can't kind of regulate that she never had any problems in her life and she's taking all these supplements like what do you say to her 
Well, for me, and that's why I kind of brought up the point about it's all about what we're talking about. Like most of these remedy home remedies and most of the cultural stuff that we have, a lot of that stuff has been geared toward like the common cold and flu-like symptoms and whatnot. And again, just like chronic back pain, American medicine really has nothing for the common cold, for viral illnesses, for the flu. And so, yeah, we can throw a bunch of medicine at people. But I tell, I tell people all the time, do what you have to do to feel better. Whatever home remedies you have that make you feel better when you have the flu, yeah, you can take Motrin, you can take Tylenol, you can drink water. But if that ginger tea makes you feel better, that echinacea makes you feel better, that little hit of whiskey in your uh, in your bottle makes you feel better, that's what it's all about. But in terms of diabetes, no. I don't accept that. That's stupid for you to take this herb for your diabetes. And that I can say because of science. And I think that's what I absolutely agree with you, too. I mean, I think when it comes to harmless stuff, cool. Do what you got to do to get better. I mean, I remember last year when I got the flu. I mean, I'm an emergency doctor. I thought I was going to die. Like, both of my nostrils were closed. And my wife, God bless my, I couldn't even breathe. I was so scared to go to sleep. And I was like, I'm not going to wake up. I'm going to, I know, I know. Whatever, man, whatever. I was dying. It was a real disease. It's a real disease. It's a real disease. No, but seriously, but my wife, right? I'm trying everything. Afrin, I'm trying everything. And I'm like, I'm not getting better. My wife, everything, man, I swear. I tried everything under the sun. But my wife, God bless her, she's a social worker. She's like, hey, look, let's do this. She gets a big pot of water, steams it, and I just put my face right, not in the, in the pot. Please don't do this, guys. She was tempted. Yeah, <laughs> like, tempted. She's tempted to put my face in there. But the vapor, it really opened up my nose, oh, right? Yeah, so at least just, shower. yeah. Right, it's sure. like little things like that just kind of help, help out. But I want to be like, hey, you have stroke-like symptoms. Right. Go get a hot shower, and it'll be fine. No, like that stuff's not gonna work, right? You gotta see what condition you're dealing with. The best example is Steve Jobs, right? Steve Jobs is a very treatable form of pancreatic cancer, right? But he, he turned towards alternative medicine, and what happened? His, it cost his life, right? There was no app for that. Yeah, yeah there was no app for that, no yeah, doubt, right? And so. Right. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I yeah. just, yeah, I think it's cliche, so forgive me. Um, <laughs> yeah, so let me circle back, because Chris said something that, that touched me. Uh, he said uh, black people shouldn't be on lisinopril. I'm on lisinopril. So I want you to school me in here. <laughs> yeah, that's real. We got, we got to be real about this, right? That not only am I the president, I'm a client. You yep. know, it's like the hair club for men. You remember those commercials? Yes. Chris, if I'm sitting at this table and Chris can't school me, then we're a bunch of hypocrites at this table. He's got to sell me now why I shouldn't be on uh, lisinopril. I'm open ears because I, you know, I want to live. All I know is living. I don't know death. So if you could convince me, one, hey, I'll go to my PCP and say, look, I need to be on an ARB, which is another form of blood pressure medication for our, our, our listening audience. So Chris, school us on why we shouldn't be on uh, lisinopril from your medical opinion. Yeah, so really it's just about the um, adverse effects. Um, so there's basically been literature showing that uh, the black population has a higher rate of adverse effects to lisinopril to the general population, um, main of which being angioedema, which if people don't know what angioedema it is, is basically where you get swelling of your lips, your tongue. And what we worry about is that your airway, your arm um, closing up and being swollen, you can't breathe. And this can happen when you've been put on the medication within a couple of weeks, or it can even happen you've been on this medicine five years down the line. And so in a time where we have so many other alternatives, I just don't see it being worth the risk. Thank you. Are you really on Lisinopril? I am really on. Look, man, oh. I'm older to be y'all mamas Chris, and daddies did, up in this piece. Did Chris convince you to get off of I, it? No, you know, I, I was aware of it now. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tube you. Yeah, please do. Please do. Exactly. First surgical <laughs> airway. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, airway nothing. And, I, and, and the truth of the matter is I've actually 
done a surgical airway on a person who came in with angioedema secondary to lisinopril. It so is an OG. Yeah, it's a real thing. I, you know, and if anyone wants to know, surgical airways where we basically cut your uh, trachea open and shove a pipe or a tube down there so you can breathe because your tongue or your mouth is so swollen, you can't get air down that way. So that being said and done, and you're right, I've considered that. We do have a higher incidence of uh, angioedema, and sometimes you're not fortunate enough to make it in while you're in there, the mild swelling. So, Chris, I'm going to take that to heart. Sure. And, uh, you know, it's hard getting old. I'm almost 50. It is hard getting old. And it's also hard with a medical degree and medical education discerning what is fact, what is faith, and what is fiction. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're having this here. So I'm thank you. I wanted to break bread with you on that. That, That's real. That's real. So, all right. Sorry. That that was my own medical advice. And if if I get off lisinopril and I stroke out, Chris, I'm coming after you. No, I'm just (laughs) joking. Exactly. Chris, do you want a little disclaimer in here? I'll accept all liability. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting those uh, kickback checks from the vaccine programs. So keeping it moving, realistically, you know, this is a, a good segue for this one song here, Can I Live? So we're just going to take a quick pause. We invite you to something epic, you know? Where we hustle out of a sense of hopelessness, sort of a desperation. Through that desperation, we come addicted, sort of like the fiends we accustomed to serving. Where we feel we have nothing to lose, so we offer you, well, we offer our lives. What are you doing? Witty's vibing. Oh yeah, I'm All right, Jigga, this is for you. So can I live? Popular catchphrase, you know, roughly five, ten years ago, maybe a little longer. But the point is it. All of us, whether we ascribe our practices to science or whether we adhere to faith traditions or cultural traditions, as uh, Chitty uh, so eloquently said, we are trying to live. That's the motivation. And I submit to you that even the hustle is a adaptive strategy in survival. People are trying to make money to live. It's just that we have to deem what is detrimental to ourselves and detrimental to others in that pursuit of life. Speak on it. Oh, don't get tight-lipped now, now, y'all. Don't get quiet on me We're now. thinking. Can we think? Can we think? <laughs> yeah, Can I yeah, live? Yeah. Can we live and think? Okay, all right. Well, well said. Well said. <laughs> well, while everybody's thinking, can I just, um, I want to give a little caveat because we brought him up, and just in case he's listening to our podcast, I want people to know that when we bring up Dr. Eyes, we're not trying to say he's not a real doctor. The guy is legitimate. Um, he's a board-certified surgeon for a prestigious university. He's got all of his qualifications. We just bring him up saying that, you know, when you have that level of a platform, it's just up to us to be responsible on how we use that platform so people know what we're spreading. You know, just like for people who have not been in um, research presentations or lectures from doctors, Every time we have to give a presentation or a lecture, we have to give a disclaimer that we are not being paid by the company that is associated with the topic, or if we are getting paid, because then if you are getting paid or getting getting coined from the topic you're discussing, we kind of take your research or your presentation with a grain of salt. And so for you to have that platform, and we know that you're getting paid all this money based on what you're selling, it is we have to take what you're saying with a grain of salt, but he's not really giving that disclaimer. To whom much is given... Much is required. That is a uh, 
scripture, but it's a truism. If we are, are granted with gifts, there's a uh, incredible level of responsibility that should be associated with those gifts that are granted to us. So that, that's just a good summary of a way to live. So that is a, a litmus in itself. If there's something that we're going to take or prescribe to our patients, there's an incredible responsibility that we do the due diligence in researching it, whether it be naturopathic, whether it be uh, something that comes through from somebody's lab, either way, the responsibility is the same. Jawad, You've been doing a lot of research here, so we're speaking of science, you know, over-treatment and the like, man. Talk about this pursuit of, of life and, you know, how conspiracy was born out of it, how over-treatment is born out of it, how life and death actually sometimes comes out of it. I mean, I think that's what it comes down to is whatever we can do to stay alive, right? I mean, I think all, I think we mentioned this in another podcast. We talked about Maslow's hierarchy of social needs, right? The bottom is just your basic physical, physiological needs. The top is your self-actualization, your spiritual sense of your form if you kind of remove all that stuff right in a great society like the united states right pretty advanced in a lot of things a lot of us are kind of away from the physiological needs a lot of people are dealing with that stuff but a lot of us we can say kind of have actually gone to the self-actualization aspect of things but you kind of remove all that top of the pyramid down it all comes to survival at the end right and that's what people take any means right and i think one of the reasons why i believe that alternative medicine may be so popular nowadays too i think is is our healthcare system, right? How unaffordable it is, how difficult it is to see a doctor, right? So people are doing what they can or by any means necessary to find a way to survive, right? I had a patient that asked me a couple of months ago if she'd take a pill to cleanse her blood. And I thought she was talking about dialysis at first. I'm like, because that's what dialysis is, right? It's cleansing your blood. But it's like, no, it's a pill that's basically over the counter that she can get that she takes and cleanses her blood. But I mean, a lot of people, again, I think it all comes down to survival. They ha don't have the resources, right? I mean, that's one of the things we see in the emergency room. Why? I mean, and that's one thing I kind of noticed about the emergency room is that whenever you've seen, guys, when you're driving the highway, whenever you've seen a big billboard saying, hey, this is the best emergency room in the hospital, in the world, right? Or in this country, you always see, hey, the can this is the best cancer center, the best heart center, because those places cause, create money, right? The emergency room doesn't. We lose the hospital money. But at the end, this is the safety net for patients. And this is where I feel like our goal as emergency doctor is to educate patients on that, to be like, hey, get away from this alternative medicine or help find resources that give them better. But again, over-treatment is bad. We're talking about patients who are getting unnecessary care, unnecessary cardiac cats, right? I mean, shitty. We went to Stony Brook, right? Where, and I feel bad saying that where everybody used to get CT of the heart, right? You coughed and you had chest pain, you got the CTs, right? And we do it on 85-year-old guys who probably already had cardiac disease, but now they're getting stenting done, right? Unnecessary. Now there's complications from those procedures. How many patients with back pain come in with, who come with back pain? Studies have shown that if you don't do anything for one year, the back pain will resolve. But people go to surgery and now they get more complications, right? For the flu. Antibiotics, right? People have the flu and they're like, hey, I want antibiotics to get this. But it's like, but that's the thing. Us as humans, we like to correlate things, right? Hey, look, I have the flu. In five days, the flu is going to go away. But hey, that Z-Pack really helped me out when we started it, right? So emergency. the Z-Pack is the treatment, right? So Or emergency, right? I mean, and that's the thing. Like, I always say moderacy is so important, right? Too much or too little of something is too bad. Getting, what is it? What, is it 1,000 grams or 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C that you get in emergency, right? It's a lot, right? Well, you're going to get scurvy at the end, right? Like, I mean, like, come on. That's something the pirates got back in the day, you know? And so it, too much is bad. Yeah, you bring up a funny example is that, like, like I said, people are just looking for an alternative that they don't even realize the alternative may be something that actually 
was ancient medicine back in the day before we even knew what to do. Like that lady that was taking that medicine to cleanse her blood. I mean, what did we used to do to treat disease back in the day? Bloodletting, right? So no matter what disease you had, let's just drain your blood and that disease will go away. And that's essentially what this pill is designed to do. So it's funny that people will latch on to something just because it's new and different than what we're pushing. Keep on pushing. Oh, man, see, I don't have that loaded up. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, Come on, no, G. I thought you were like, I'm a hustler, baby. I'm gotta, sorry, that was a, You got to anticipate my moves. Yeah, man, you know, <laughs> right. when we get a real studio. Right, exactly. I gotta, so we get a real slacking. studio. Yeah, give it to me. All right, so anyway, so here's the crazy thing about this. So I'm going to remit this one more time. A lot of the modern medicine does stem out of ancient medicine. Let's just be honest about that. Yeah. The first evidence of... Trephination was found in prehistoric man where they saw basically skulls that had been kind of chiseled through when people were having seizures and to let out the evil spirits. And they knew that this was a medical or at least an intervention or treatment because they showed where there was new growth on these areas where the person had been chiseled through. And they saw a pattern in multiple skulls where this had happened. So it became a medical practice. Well, what do we call trephination now? We call it basically a craniotomy for a subdural or epidural. So these are ancient things that bore out into some level of science. We know that uh, caffeine comes from uh, basically uh, Eastern Africa where we know it was a stimulant for goats. Hey, the goats got high. I can probably get high off it too. We know that, uh, you know, foxglove for ditch. You know, there are all these other things while they were once upon a time seen as the standard and then fell out of vogue. Sometimes they do fall back into common practice again because there was some, let's say, loose science or maybe even wisdom if we can extend it that. So this is not cut and dry. This is something that we have to be very mindful and intentional about uh, when we tell people that's dangerous or that's safe or this is safe and that's dangerous. And uh, once again, we're going back to the motivations. Why are we saying that? Is it with the heart that people are having good outcomes? Or is it with the heart that I've got, you know, uh, a, a lot of shares and, and that stock is about to become uh, public very soon and I can make a lot of money on this if I push this hard enough? I don't know. I think the motivation is actually the, the drug that we have to be uh, cautious of also. Okay, I've, I've said too much. No, you're absolutely right. And I think, like you talked about earlier, that's the reason we have to, why we have to be careful about being so absolute, right? Because part of science is that, you know, we have to know what we know and know what we don't know. You know, we call you the OG. You can, I'm pretty sure you can testify to the fact that there are a lot of therapies and medications that you used to use first line that now oh. are black box. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah, if you don't mind, I'm going to steal a little time on this. So I took two years off of med school. That's a podcast within itself. All right. So I took two years off in between second and uh, third year. That's based on conspiracy. But that is a real thing that happened. When I left second year after taking farm, you know, beta blockers, were, which is a kind of a heart-regulating uh, medication, blood pressure medication. People have heard of metoprolol or atenolol maybe. They were contraindicated in heart failure. I came back two years later, and I remember being asked on the awards, they're like, oh, what are the drugs, you know, for heart failure? And somebody <laughs> yelled out, you know, metoprolol. I almost fell out laughing. But I was the only one laughing because it had changed. <laughs> you said, like, that kid's getting an F yeah. in this class. <laughs> changed in two years. I'm ahead of the game, guys. If you ever ever have seen the movie, oh my gosh, it was was, was embarrassing. If you've ever seen the movie, I'm going to get you sucker. I was Huggy Bear getting out of jail with my fish, my my aquarium platforms, you know, thinking I'm still in style. You were left behind. Yeah, I was so behind. behind. 
I had, you know, I had, it was like Jordan coming back from retirement, you know, when, you know, he got the ball stripped from him. <laughs> I, like, I thought I was like, you know, just dunk on people like back in the days. And I'm like, dude, where have you been? <laughs> I didn't realize that that FUBU I was wearing after I got out of jail was played oh, in. <laughs> FUBU? Yes. <laughs> so that's a real thing. That is a real thing, that, that, that the science is temporal. It is mutable. That what is contraindicated was... You know, standard of care. Sometimes things like vitamin C and chicken noodle soup, you'll get a study, it'll come out and say, actually, you know, chicken noodle soup does have some, you know, anti-inflammatory properties. We can't tell you to take it instead of, you know, taking antibiotics when you're, you know, coming in with sepsis. But vitamin C was being pushed at one of my home institutions in Virginia as a treatment for sepsis. So this is a moving target. We must be humble on both ends of this to say that sometimes we don't have the answer. But that does not mean there's not a truth to be grasped. Just because we don't have the absolute truth now doesn't mean that there's no truth whatsoever. we got to be cautious about that. And we got to be cautious about the motivations. I'm going to tell you flat out, and this is where I'm going to make this a segue. We've got to be honest that there's some evil why people don't trust us and why we even in the industry don't trust us you know there's a uh, an evil that has kept people down and we're gonna let this breathe for a second the evils aka devils Streets, none of my friends speak. We all trying to win, but then again, maybe it's for the best though. Cause when they seeing too much, you know they're trying to get you touch. Whoever said illegal was the easy way out. Couldn't understand the mechanics and the workings of the underworld. All right, well, I'm throwing this out there. Why don't people trust us? Let's talk about the history medical apartheid, the hustle on the other side where we're the pushers. We talked about that last podcast. Somebody speak on it. I mean, we there is a long history of medical experimentation, especially on populations that are underserved. I feel like a, another podcast we talked about Tuskegee. I don't know if we was that we did, right? We did. Probably brought we it up. We talked about Tuskegee, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that people are not going to trust healthcare providers because of this like history of experimentation especially on the underserved especially on the the marginalized populations in america and worldwide so i get it i do but where do we draw the line you know everything is not gonna everything is not an experiment and that's where you come to things like common things that we're still dealing with like hiv all right is that something that was formulated by the cia is that something that's still being propagated we have all these medications. We still don't have a cure. Is this something that now we need to be, oh, the government is doing this to us? Like, there's just a whole level of distrust that I know we can't get around because of the history. But where do we draw the line? Yeah, it's, you know, it's a tough thing because, you know, on one hand, you know, us being on the front lines and in medicine, like we know our hearts and we know that we're in it for the right reasons. We know our colleagues, you know, but the lay population doesn't know that. And we do have a pretty brutal and nasty history, like you said, of medical experimentation on American citizens, particularly black and Hispanic population. But even, I mean, America has experimented on white people throughout history as well. And, you know, for black people, it's interesting, you know, you brought up Tuskegee. That's really the main experiment that people know about. Like when you ask people like why they don't trust and ask, ask them about the experimentation and there's a health disparity in terms of 
getting uh, black individuals to participate in a research studies because re the term research is taboo um, because of this experimentation. And most people, if you poll families, if you go to Christmas dinner, Thanksgiving dinner, and poll black families, people can talk about Tuskegee. Um, and for people that may not know Tuskegee in brief, the Tuskegee syphilis study essentially was a study that was sanctioned by the U.S. government in which poor black sharecroppers had syphilis. They thought they were getting treatment, but they were not. They were getting deceived. They were not getting treatment. And essentially everything that we know about the stages of syphilis came from the backs of those black sharecroppers um, withholding treatment from them and ex essentially experimenting their bodies. And so that's really the study people know about. And then there's, you know, anecdotes about how such and such was treated by their doctor. There's so much more that's out there. And we brought up, you know, medical apartheid, a great book if you guys have not read it. Is actually a book called Medical Apartheid. The author, I think her name, Harriet Washington, brilliant. Essentially, this, you know, this book is essentially her life's work. When I read this book a few years ago, and at first I'm reading it, you know, and from a person being in the medical field, it's like, man, this is some of this stuff is unbelievable. You know, it starts off talking about stuff, you know, 1800 slavery days, but then just detail stuff on through the 1900s and even more recent stuff. But this is what's her life work. Everything is well researched, and there's other books that that um. Um, are cited, the plutonium files, which talk about radiation experiments on American citizens, um, Acres of Skin, which talks about studies on prisoners, um, where a lot of our popular dermatology medications came from. And there's just... Wax. Yeah, and there's just been tons of medical experimentation throughout the years that I feel like if people really knew about all these studies, if people read this book, it'll be even like it'll be over for us. It'll be even worse for us if people knew about some of these things that are happening. And the crazy part is, you would think that all this stuff started, I mean, stopped in the '60s. Stopped, even though the '60s and '70s is not that long ago, you would think it stopped in the '70s, the '80s. No, no, no. These studies continued in the '90s. There's examples in the 2000s. There's an example from my medical school institution just from 2015, where a psychiatrist was experimenting with a drug on young black and Hispanic girls with lithium. And there's something that just came out just this year. And so this stuff is still going on. So knowing that these things are still going on, it's tough to look somebody in the eye and say, trust us and not validate their distrust, essentially. I mean, it's something that I've kind of noticed too, just in my practice in Atlanta, like being trained in New York, I think it's a pretty diverse group there in New York. But I think in Atlanta, with having a huge black population, I mean, I think kind of peels over. I mean, in simple things as, you know, a patient coming in with a car accident and not getting an x-ray, they're like, hey, you're not giving me this x-ray because I'm black. You're not doing, you know, you're trying to do more stuff because I'm black, you're trying to hurt me and stuff. And you see from all that history of experimentation, it kind of comes trickles down. It right. trickles down. You know, and, and, and I think there is a reason behind it. I mean, that book you were talking about, Medical Apartheid, like I said, a great book. And I think one of the great examples, I mean, that I know I've talked to John about this before is just the father of OBGYN, yeah. right? J. Marion Sims. Yeah. And there's an amazing picture, I mean not an amazing picture, but this painting that she kind of shows this this look on how OBGYN was came to be, right, Mo of modern OBGYN, where they would do ex experimentation on women, surgical procedures on women without anesthesia. And there's a picture we see where this woman is basically sitting on a table with her hand on her chest and in this humble position while you have three white doctors kind of standing proud and tall. And you see two other black slaves kind of sitting and standing in the back kind of peering through and looking at this woman that's probably going to be experimented on. And I think this kind of passes from generation to generation and at the end, why people have a sense of doubt on doctors and medicine too. And to make this more real for you guys, and I, I encourage you to look it up, but 
Jim Aaron Sims was celebrated as the a father of gynecology, heavily published um, in a lot of gynecology textbooks, statues. Um, and this guy, essentially, he had slaves as his patients in experiments where he was essentially cutting and operating on them over and over and over and over without any anesthesia, without anything to numb the pain. And that's essentially how he came up with all of his revelations, all of his treatments. And just last year um, was the first time where this kind of became controversial and they got his statue. I forget what state it was in. South Carolina. South Carolina. They got his statue removed. And so this stuff is prevalent. I mean, there's many, many stories like that. And you know, and, and that's what we're talking about. I mean, I, I can see why people maybe gravitate towards alternative medicine, right? I mean, we're in a, we're in a world where everything's do-it-yourself, right? We have right in our hands on our phone, we can go on the internet and kind of see whatever remedy we need, right? How many patients have we seen? I kind of joke, and please don't consult Dr. Google or Dr. WebMD, right? Because it, right, this knowledge is important, but again, it needs to be interpreted by the right person, right? But I mean, I see why people go towards alternative medicine. They have, feel like they have the sense of power and control of their life and their care. I just feel like for years and years, and you speak about this quote-unquote father of, OBGYN, but I feel like women have been targeted, especially as well. There have been a lot of cases of like this forced sterilization. I know like the most famous one was Israel with the Ethiopian women, but as recent as like 2010, they were doing sterilization experiments on prisoners in California. So this stuff is still prevalent, and this and I I understand the trepidation, but like we can't arm people with that type of fear. You know what I mean? Like we have to be able to dispel these things. And yes, these things are happening, but in the grand scheme of things, this is not, this is the exception, not the rule. I think, do you guys agree with that? Overall? Yes. But I think the problem is we just don't have the time to dedicate these conversations with patients. And so I think if we had the time to sit back and talk to and get everybody's concerns, like we had a town hall, like we have debates, you know, we have debates for presidential for the presidential campaign and people are allowed to ask their questions and and say their comments so we can validate their opinion and kind of talk with them about, you know, well, let's talk about what fact what the facts are. Let's talk about what happened. Let's talk about what's happened now. And we had time to do that. then I think that would kind of help to dispel some of the mistrust. But because everything is a five minute encounter, a 10 minute encounter. There's no time. There's no platform to do it. You know, this is the platform. There is now. Yeah. this we're, t- we're trying to create this platform to have these conversations because right now people go in to see their doctor for five minutes and they may not even see their doctor. Right. You know, that's another conversation for another day. And they come away with more questions than answers. And so in that, and then when that happens, everything, all these mis- all these mistruths are just in people's mind and they just run wild with it. And they watch TV. They walk on Twitter. There's something else going on. There's another conspiracy theory going on. And it just runs. They send one tweet and it goes viral. And, you know, so let, let's be honest. The way at least our healthcare system is set up, there's profitability in ignorance. There's profitability in keeping people dependent or reliant on the system. We get paid not for health. We get paid for disease. We get basically incentivized for people to break down and not take care of themselves. It's, Especially emergency medicine. So so the motivations, although we don't like to talk about it, we should not be really building up emergency medicine. If health and population health is really successful here, 
it should obviate the need for more emergency physicians and more emergency departments. That should be a win for a society. But that's not what we're doing. We're expanding departments. We're uh, throwing resources to them. It's a failed concept where you're saying that, oh, we're looking for more emergencies. That doesn't make sense. You should be really pouring all your resources in preventing those things. But that's not the way the system is set up. So you got to wonder if a system is set up to be profited or profitable when something bad happens to me and only when something bad happens to me, is that person my friend? Is that system my friend or my foe? I'm going to let that just be a segue while we introduce the next concept. Who can we trust? Dr. Sebi, Dr. Oz, your local primary care physician. How do people figure out? Who can you trust? You can trust me. I'm always here for you. <laughs> always, always. <laughs> you can always trust me. I mean, that's a crazy question, though, because like a Dr. Sebi, I always go back and forth on him because speak on it. it's like... I haven't done enough research into Dr. Sebi to like vet what he's doing, but he's, like he's a he fraud. Let's just say it. Quote, quote. <laughs> <laughs> right, discussion what? closed. He's a fraud. Let's just say down. it. I mean, he's saying he's making all these claims or whatever, but like, what is he? What does he gain? Like, is he getting anything monetarily? Because most of the things that he's that he is, most of the things that he's well, like books and stuff. Like, what does he get monetarily? No, he got money. So, <laughs> so when we talked about Dr. Raz, Dr. Raz, we talked about is actually legitimate. He just we feel like he's using his platform wrong. Dr. Sebi is actually not a doctor. His name is Alfredo Bowman. He's a gentleman, I believe, from Honduras. Honduras. So yeah. I'm not exactly, you know, and I'm not exactly <laughs> sure um, what his training was in Honduras um, back in the day. But I do know he doesn't have an MD. Well, let's DO, check Wikipedia. Um, or, yeah, look it up. Look yeah. it up. We, we got our stats guy. Yeah, so it's right tough. Now. It's tough to tell exactly me, what, you know, what training was involved. But I know he doesn't have yeah. an M- he doesn't have an MD. He doesn't have a DO. He doesn't have a doctorate level degree. I know that he he says that he you know grew up and learned a bunch of things about herbs and about human disease through his quote unquote training, and so. The thing about Dr. Sebi, and this Dr. Sebi thing became so viral, and right now we're kind of in the woke stage, and so the woke crowd kind of got a hold of Dr. Sebi's teachings, and then when the late, great legend Nipsey Hussle, rest in peace, of course, Nipsey Hussle, um, who was a, a very intelligent guy, was essentially starting to push Dr. Sebi's story and was um, in the midst of um, recreating a documentary about Dr. Sebi. And then Nipsey Hussle was killed, and that just kind of helped grow the conspiracy that oh, he's it's almost like a thing where they talk about who that who they talk about who tries who tried to buy NBC. Cosby. They say hey, they, <laughs> there's always Cosby. there's the rumors that Bill Cosby was had enough money to buy NBC, and that's why all the allegations happened. <laughs> so it's like so Nipsey Hussle. Why are you um, acting like you forgot Bill Cosby? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I try I try to wipe it, you know, a lot of memories. Um, but essentially, so back to the point of Dr. Sebi. So he's not a doctor, and he just says a lot of nonsense in his theory. And so, yes, as medical doctors and as scientists, we have to say what we know and we don't know, but it is our responsibility to shoot down things that are just not based in factor in science. And that's the thing with Dr. Sebi. Dr. Sebi's whole premise is this alkaline-based diet and the um, he sells C-E-L-L cell food, but he believes that all disease is based on mucus. All right. So let's break that down. He thinks that every single disease out there is based on too much mucus in the body and inflammation. Guys, people are out there. Out, we study hours upon hours, years upon years. Let me tell you, disease is not that simple. Trauma is a disease. If you get shot, yeah. that ain't inflammation. It's, it's yeah. not about inflammation. I don't think there's any mucus coming out there. And so, it's heat. And so, <laughs> and so he, he tries to cure disease <laughs> essentially by getting rid of mucus. And he thinks that or he believes that mucus cannot survive in an alkaline environment. Hence the alkaline diet. So if you have an alkaline diet, then your body's pH becomes alkaline. You can get rid of the mucus and you can be healthy. We know from studying in medical school, and shoot, this probably goes back to AP biology if you have those classes, the body's pH ranges from 7.35 to 7.45, right? Mm-hmm. Give or take. If it's outside of those ranges, you're sick. Right. You're about to die probably. And so to, for his whole premise to be that I'm going to make your pH 7.5, 7.6, and he make you healthy, we know that's nonsense. Another nonsensical claim that he makes is that HIV is not responsible for AIDS. He thinks that there's something else completely different that has created AIDS and HIV, the virus, is not associated with AIDS. Now, I know a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of the lay population does not know the difference between HIV and AIDS. Essentially, HIV is the virus. AIDS is the syndrome or disease that you can get if HIV becomes out of control. Dr. Sebi does not believe the two are linked, which we do know from science that those two are incredibly linked. And so doctors, my problem with Dr. Sebi is that he just has so much out there that is scientific and medical nonsense. But because it's the social media era, everybody has locked on to this as alternative medicine and everybody's selling alkaline diet, alkaline water, trying to be healthier when it's not rooted in the science. And yes, Dr. Sebi was getting paid cash money. He was getting paid cash money from celebrities to make them healthier, thousands of dollars. And when he was arrested in the airport, he had like $30,000 in cash on him. So the guy was getting, the guy was profiting. So it's not that he's just some good guy that was trying to look out for health, everybody's health. No, no, no. He was a capitalist as well. He was a hustler. One eight hundred talking about like this, like we said, this podcast is about educating ourselves. I didn't know all that information about this doctor or whatever he is, but Chris Ford, thank you, you educated me. So now I you know. just got educated. You said what? I said you just got educated. He just cool. educated That's what we did. me. I didn't know. EMR remix, baby. I mean, I knew about the guy. I never did too much research into him. EMR remix. It seemed, <laughs> it seemed crazy. Um, but thank you for educating me about him. Yeah, I don't know how I feel. What do you tell the person? What do you tell these people with these claims? Like, oh, my diabetes was cured by this. Like, do you tell them that they're lying? Do you tell them, like, I don't know what to think about those people. I think that's what, like, John was saying before when we kind of introed to the podcast, right? Was that we can disagree, right, with a lot of the statements, Absolutely. right? And again, and we don't have all the answers. We don't have all the answers. And I think this is, right, in any kind of aspect of things, you know, this is 
our mindset is not a prison, right? That we can, you have to believe what we say. The thing is that you can disagree, right? I mean, again, our job is to educate. I mean, there was a study that was done by one of the guy named Brendan Nyhan who said that no matter how much information you give people, it will, won't change their mind if they're so strongly believing in this information. That's called a perception set. Yeah. It's one of the uh, tools that leads to an intrinsic bias, and we all have them. We, all of us at this table have biases, and we will say things that will may in time bear out to not be true, and things that we thought were uh, false will bear out to be true. It is your motivation and your diligence about going about these things. I would tell you that anybody who uh, listens to this should go and look it up and then come back with this. So we can break bread and determine what is the truth. We cannot determine the truth in singularity, in isolation, in silos. That's where social media is bad. But we can, as a collective, come to approximate some truth when we're willing to sit together and talk about it and build upon it, not tear each other down. Chris Ford just laid some down. It got some people hot. They're coming after him right now. I know right. I know that's facts. that's fast. He's gonna look like King and Jesse on the balcony, you know, and I'm gonna be pointing up to the, you know, to the, the upper deck. But the goal is not whether you're mad or not, or whether your feelings were validated or not, it's whether there's a collective truth to be gained so we can all rise in that. And that is, that's not a one-time argument. That's not a one-time sit down at the table, and that's what we're doing now. We're inviting people to the table to break bread, to figure this out. You're gonna school us and we're gonna school you. It's a mutual thing. Education and learning should always be a two-way street. Otherwise, you're on the wrong path. That's mine. And I think that's where it's coming the issue. I think. All of us, right, when it comes to pseudoscience stuff or when it comes to these kind of things, we're also dogmatic, right? Scientists are very dogmatic. People who are pro or anti-vaccines are very dogmatic about their views, right? We have to sit down and we have to listen to each other, right? I mean, this may sound so naive, but nobody, you're not going to be able to change people's minds just by producing more information, right? And here with this podcast, we're here because we're trying to get to the truth as well, too. We're not saying that we have the truth, but we're trying to get to that truth. But we have to be able to kind of sit down together and listen to each other, see what our concerns are and get to that and and try our best to educate each other. And that's it. So with that, we're going to say, uh, kind of remits one of Jay-Z's tracks again. We're going to call this Ain't No Doctor. All right, guys, last but not least, as we wind this episode down, we are going to kind of talk about just the truth of it. There are consequences to all of our decisions. Whatever health avenue you you know subscribe to, whatever cure or diagnostic uh, modality you subscribe to, there is a consequence to that decision that you made. Some regrettable, some are not. Some are uh, advantageous. So what we're going to do is uh, actually talk about this in a little more detail, kind of leave you some notes to kind of take on and chew on and think and get back to us with it. You guys want to speak about it? Consequences for choosing alternative medicine or subscribing to more and more Western medicine. Anyone want to lead on that one? I mean, the thing I want to talk most about this, I mean, I love pseudoscience, and that's, I hope you do talk more about particular issues in pseudoscience that goes around in this country and this world. But the big thing that I think the concern that I have, how extreme things are getting, is to the point of vaccines, right? We're getting to the point where, again, I think scientists or people on the side of science and pro-vaccine are not really educating people that were, are not as accessible, right? And so people are not, are people making decisions about vaccines that are hurting people, right? They're basically hurting people. We're kind of spreading disease that shouldn't be here. Like recently we're here. I mean, CDC's right in our backyards, right? And we're talking about the measles outbreak recently. Like measles was so rare 
in the United States, but now we're having huge influx of this disease, right? And that's because of consequence of people not wanting to get vaccines, right? And I think that's the consequence. Like when we make, I guess, wrong decisions or decisions based on wrong information, it has a huge consequence on the not on the individual, but the society as a whole. And I think that's what it comes down to. We kind of realize, and I kind of speak about this, there's two countries right now, and this kind of hits close to home because it literally is home, two countries in the world right now where polio is still existent, right? One is Afghanistan, and it's my country of Pakistan, right? And you have workers that are coming in from all over the world trying to vaccinate people with the polio vaccine. But you have people like the Taliban who come in and are killing these workers because they believe they're being sterilized. Like people are literally dying to try to get vaccinations. But now we're here in the United States where we have access to these resources, but we're we're trying to get away from that. There's a picture in the 1960s where Elvis Presley was getting his smallpox vaccine and vaccinations went up. But now you have celebrities who are kind of like Jessica Biel, Jenny McCarthy, Jim Carrey, even our president, Donald Trump, are so anti-vaccine that people are not are gravitating towards them and not vaccinating themselves. But this is harming our society as a whole. What's the book that you're reading that uh, kind of... Uh, that- so I have this book here, and I absolutely love it. It's a book called The Vaccine Picture by one of... It's an author. He's a professor at, in Canada, and he's awesome. His name is Timothy Caulfield. And I love kind of gravitating to his stuff when it comes to pseudoscience stuff. And it kind of just discusses about how this issue of vaccinations became a problem, right? How people, how this debate now came when it used to be such a huge, was a non-issue initially where everybody was getting a vaccination. But I think one of the biggest problems too, again, comes down to media as well too, right? How many TV shows I've seen on CNN and things like that where you have scientists talking who are on the pro-vaccine sites and then you have Jenny McCarthy on the other side <laughs> arguing about anti-vaccines, right? Like, when do you have a scientist come in and say, hey, I'm anti-vaccine, this is the reason why it's happening, right? So they're giving legitimacy in this debate to people who are not well-versed in science, right? Who are not well-versed in the issues of vaccines, right? I mean, it's like Tom Cruise, remember when he wrote, read four articles on psychiatry and he said that psychiatry is a sham field? Just by reading four articles, that's not the case, right? You can't just kind of read things and say, this is why these things don't work, or based on anecdotal evidence, so right? What do you do in medicine? Fair. You read a journal, and then you find out 15, 20 years later, it was retracted. A Harvard scientist just said uh, cardiac stem cells were a solution to, uh, you know, uh, basically angioneogenesis. And then he has one by one person finally decides to repeat it. They're like, dude, that was all a crock. And they pull all of this stuff from the tomes of medicine. But this is the beautiful part of science, though, right? That it is very dynamic. The things can change, right? But I think when it comes to things, groups like you know, anti-vaccine groups or people who are so much into, who believe in doing certain exercises to get the toxins out of your body, right? They're so adamant about that and they're not willing to change their thinking, right? Like in science, one of the beautiful parts, again, is that we're trying to change, we're willing to accept new evidence, right? New information. And we should be open to and receptive to obtaining new information, right? right? But I think when you kind of close things out, that's when it becomes a problem. Yeah, so I think the two things, two quick things on the vaccines are, like you said, you brought up your point. Most of it comes out of fear, right? People are afraid of autism, which is legitimate. So the kids are getting autism. We have a spike in diagnosis of autism, and there's been a link that's been spread that vaccines cause autism. And so they're afraid of this disease, and they don't want their kids to get this disease. So number one, the fact that the majority of people who are against vaccines can't tell us a list of diseases that used to run rampant and make us sick and kill us that no longer truly exist because of vaccines 
it's scary, right? Because if you have a fear of those diseases, then logically you will want those diseases to stay away. But because you don't know about those diseases, the only thing you're going to be afraid of now is autism. Number two, people don't really even understand where it even where the link came from. People have no idea who Tim Wakefield is. People don't know that the initial article that was published by The Lancet years ago that first linked autism with vaccines was then retracted because it was found that he falsified data. He basically made up stuff so that he can get his article published and get people against vaccines. And then they retracted this article. But that was not really mainstream and it's just spiraled out of control. And so if we can have actual conversation, you know, the problem is it's very polarized, like politics. Yeah. You know, it's like Democrat versus Republican, liberal versus conservative. Everything's too polarizing. But if we can actually have legitimate conversations that are not polarized and are not heat that are not heated, we can probably speak some logic to folks just by educating about what the history actually has been. And, and it's interesting, the initial studies were African-American boys who were the ones who actually uh, were linked to uh, having increased risks of uh, autism with uh, vaccinations. And the actual anti-vaxxers are not that same demographic, which is interesting. The people, and you find that same uh, paradox all throughout society, the people who basically should be afraid of guns are in places where basically violence and the threat of you know crime is very low. The people who are advocating, you know, gun rights are in very sparse, you know, pop, sparsely populated areas, but they always talk about, yeah, it's to defend myself on what? You don't live by anybody. So <laughs> the same people who say the that, uh, right, that I'm, uh, you know, I'm afraid of, uh, you know, my child developing autism. You're not that, even if you were to believe that study has some validity, you're normally a different demographic than the African-American boys that uh, actually were forced pointed out with some type of correlation that we now say doesn't even exist. So I find that we latch on to fears sometimes without knowing the history behind something without knowing all the facts. I think if we were to talk about things a little more transparently, both our successes and our failures, both our good actions and our poor actions, we could balance these things a little better so you don't have to feel like you have to stick in one party or one brand and we can approximate a truth. But that's not what happens. We doctors are all good or they're all bad. You know, vaccinations are all good or they're all bad. You know, I think what we're trying to do here is just that saying that, hey, man, it's neither nor. There's a truth to be held, but it's a process. It's not a product you just buy by, you know, throwing some ducats down on a table. And I think one of the big issues with us to kind of talking about any kind of issue is we like to, as humans, I think, like to overemphasize rare and spectacular risks, right? Like, I mean, come on, we drove here today, right? Two-ton cars and another car's coming the opposite direction towards me, and I'm without fear, right? When it comes to rare things, we overemphasize them, right? Like, again, you mentioned the Lancelot, right? I mean, that's the other thing that's beautiful about science is that people try to reproduce that guy's, Tim Wakefield's work, and they kind of discredited what he came up with, right? I can show that, hey, this doesn't work based on the information Tim Wakefield did, right? But that's the thing, like, we have to be able to, I think the other issue is it is based on fear. You're absolutely right. We're fear and we're t- overemphasizing these risks. But how do you kind of educate people like how do you sit down and be like hey let's have a conversation right i think we have to show them what good comes out of vaccines right if you just look at data i mean like it's saving a lot of things and and you know and this happened to my family as well too with kind of nervous about giving kids measles uh, vaccines and stuff because hey it's going to basically make the kid autistic or it's going to make they can't handle a lot of vaccine load you know and so the things that you look at the first vaccine came out in the 1800s right 
And then you have mothers who come and read their Facebook pages and stuff like, hey, my maternal intuition says that, hey, the vaccines are bad, right? So you have like 200, 300 years of science showing that vaccines are good, but we always overemphasize the rare stuff and say, hey, what if my kid does get autism at the end of this? And I'm going to take it back. Sometimes if there's a pride in knowing something. So Chitty, uh, you know, Chris and I are a little further from home than you are. But actually the first vaccinations on document actually came from the west shores of West Africa. That the, actually what we know as the vaccination program that occurred in New England in the colonies was because uh, the uh, physician at the time saw that the African slave had taken actual some of the uh, secretions from uh, smallpox. And they make small incisions in the uh, skin of their children and actually infected them. And they noticed they got a subacute or this very mild clinical symptomatology, but then it conferred an immunity. So this was something that they learned. It was ancient. We're going back to that naturopathic uh, treatment. Again, vaccinations come out of natural medicine. It comes out of this ancient tradition. That is a perfect harmony of where you can do things naturopathic and it can lead to a scientific breakthrough and the two can coexist. They're not mutually exclusive in this case. So I didn't think you were going to set that up, but that was a nice little setup you did right there. That is a nice setup. I'm sorry, y'all. Big up to West Africa. I'm distracted over here. I'm sorry. I'm distracted. What happened? My supervisor just called me and told me that I have to work tonight. This is real life over here. All right. Oh, wow. What? So, Did you have a train? I have to work overnight from 11 p.m. to 8 a.m. So I'm just get some sleep. Depressed, to say the least. I'm listening. I'm learning, y'all. But I'm a depressed over here. I'm well, sorry. well, we're gonna. You know what? We're gonna. We're gonna wrap this up then. Now, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna play Jay Z's regrets uh, because uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you. Times like that make me regret going into emergency medicine. It yeah, really I went on record. Really sad. I'm really sad. It does. It, it's, it's like a clinical depression. I think it we've is. all been there. We've been called in, or you you got to stretch the days that you've been off, I and mean, you know, and you got to go back that next day. You're like, oh man, I have just, plans. I have a except uh, for me, right, Chris? A yesterday, I, I didn't get called in for my search shift, and I was disappointed. <laughs> yeah, man, that that is so. We're gonna play regrets, and we're gonna ride you out on this. Hold, hold on for a second. That, this is not right. Shit, if it makes you feel better, I'll be working tonight. So feel free to. Text and complain but and all I that. Had a, like the thing that makes me sad is I had a, a flight. Uh, my train is at 514. I have to cancel that now because and I was gonna see my new in-laws. Now they're gonna oh, be like, sorry about that. Right, they're gonna be like, she don't wanna come see us. <laughs> well, guys, this has been great. I ain't gonna front. It keeps getting better. It, yes. it, it's like this is like uh, this is nice. You, you, you guys are uh, inspiring to say the least. And um, I learn every time I sit at the table with you guys. You know my saying. Every time we break bread, this is uh, we just need to get. Uh, let's see, one, two, three. We need uh, eight more and a messiah, and and we can call this history, right? Yes. <laughs> but this has been great, guys. I really enjoyed it. Chitty, get some rest. <laughs> Please, sis, get some rest. Because the next episode, you're going to be putting it on your back. So we need you to take care of yourself. Some self-care. That's something that we don't preach in medicine. You're making me nervous, man. I'm on call today, man. So, like, I'm getting nervous now. I mean, I'll call you, I'll call you in right now. Yo, get the hell out of here, man. I'll call you in. I'm about to go drink some ginger know. tea. Let me know. Sub, sub you Yo, in Chris can't make it. He was talking smack about Dr. Sebi. <laughs> I feel a cough coming on. She said she's going to get some ginger tea. <laughs> get some ginger, get some echinacea. Rub some tussin on it. Yeah. Oh, man, you guys are great. Once again, this has been Emergency Medicine Remix. We will hit you guys up with show notes, references. Hit us up with the up-and-coming website, social media. And uh, if you got any ideas for it, feel free to send it. We're out. Peace. Bye. Bye-bye.
red dot about the hot of men. Hit rock bottom. No answers to these trick questions. No time shit stressing. My life found. I got to live for the right now. Time waits for no man. Can't turn back the hands once it's too late. Gotta learn to live with regret. You used to hold me. Told me that I was the best. Anything in this world I want I could possess. All that made me want is all that I can get in order to survive.